Hello, and welcome to another episode of K-Drama Kraken. As always, I'm your host, Chris. I hope everyone's doing okay. Uh, personally, last week's election drama was a special blend of torture, but one I think had the best outcome we could expect in this dumpster fire of a year. But by Saturday, I was completely exhausted. Like, it was everything I could do to get through my online classes, and so I told myself to chill during the weekend and come back this week swinging with new reviews of my new obsession, Startup. So for this episode, I'll cover episodes one and two. Saturday's app will review episodes three and four and so on until episode 16, which is slated to air the first week of December. Of course, I'll still do my monthly roundup at the end of November or probably probably in the middle of November, and I'll drop some other reviews throughout this month as baby krakens. They're a lot of fun for me because I get to retell a story and pack it full of my opinion yawns. Before I start with the review, I just wanted to remind everyone uh, that they could reach me at uh, kdramakraken at Instagram or Twitter. Uh, you can also go to my kdramakraken.com website and join me at the Kdrama Kraken podcast Facebook group. Um, it's still really small, so feel free to, to join and most likely I'll approve you. Probably. Sure, sure. Yeah. Join join up. Join up. Startup is yet another Studio Dragon original distributed by Netflix. Airing on TVN on Saturdays and Sundays, the drama is directed by Oh Chang Wan, who has brought us other hits such as Hotel Del Luna, While You Were Sleeping, and My Love from the Star. Our leading lady, Bay Suzy, previously starred in While You Were Sleeping, so this is a promising reunion between the actress and director. Her co-stars, Nam Jo Hook and Kim Sun Ho, are drama favorites as well, with Nam Jo Hook starring in this summer's Netflix comedy, The School Nurse Files, and Kim Sun Ho starring in one of last year's sleeper hits, Catch the Ghost. Our leads are backed up by some truly talented veterans, including Kim Hae Suk, Kim Hae Jung, and Kim Won Ae. So... Let's get into it. Episode 1. Through a stunning drone light show, we are introduced to Sandbox, a company backed by venture capitalists to help startup businesses get off the ground. Not too far away from Sandbox lives Han Ji-pyong, played by Kim Sun-ho, one of those venture capitalists who's beginning his morning arguing with his AI, named Yong Seo. The AI tells him a prediction of his future rather than the weather. He will meet someone from his past in an unexpected place. Slightly ominous, of course, but Ji Pyong isn't listening. Elsewhere, we meet So Dami, played by Susie, who is on her way to Sandbox after filling in the scuffs on her shoes with a marker. Nice life hack, by the way. I keep forgetting that one. For some reason, she's looking at the Instagram of another woman, Wan Inje, who just landed and is also heading to Sandbox for a lecture. We see NJ in the airport, smiling as she takes a selfie, but then going stone-faced a second later and walking away from her luggage with the assumption that her assistant will take it for her without a word. She seems like a peach. At the lecture, NJ faces a tough question about her social media presence. No surprise, netizens don't like her because her rich father gave her the capital to start her business. The public feels like she doesn't belong at Sandbox, but she asks the founder of Sandbox, Ms. Yoon, where the company's name came from. Ms. Yoon explains that Sandbox was named for the Playground Sandbox and is supposed to be a place where startups can come to be protected from failing, like how sand protects children from hurting themselves when they fall. The same way, NJ sarcastically comments, her father has protected her with his money. She doesn't care about the comments and even goes so far as to call the people who make them, and by proxy the young man who asks the question, Yongsan, a scumbag. According to her, her revenge is in her indifference. 
As the humiliated Young San sits back down, the next person asks their question, and we see Daomi taking a moment to think before she snatches the mic away from the guy in front of her. She introduces herself to Inje, and it's clear she recognizes her. Somehow, Jin Pyong does as well, and he leans forward to hear what Daomi has to say. Daomi asks Inje if, even though she's made some successful decisions so far, she's ever been selfish. She also calls her by a different surname, Daomi's surname. NJ replies that of course she's made selfish choices out of desperation and very pointedly corrects her about her name. Ooh, the tension. We flash back to 15 years ago when Sold NJ and Sol Dami were sisters who lived with their parents. NJ is an attentive big sister, advising Dalmi to stop playing DDR so she doesn't get holes in all of her socks. But their house isn't a happy one. Their father wants to leave the job he's worked at for over 20 years and start his own business, and their mother objects to his decision. She wants their finances to remain stable. NJ goes to an expensive school, and starting a company is too much of a risk. Their mother likens leaving the stability of a big company to being like a stray dog who only has the choice to freeze or starve. She presents their father with a divorce, saying that if he wants to quit his job, he should quit his family. Interesting how she had that paper all ready and filled out like that, huh? Hmm. NJ distracts herself in their room with earphones while their parents shout at each other, but Dalmi is at the doorway watching it all. The girls go to their grandmother's corn dog shop, and Dalmi asks her if she can convince their father not to quit his job, but Grandma replies that if her son listened to her, he wouldn't have married their mother. Yikes, <laughs> this isn't a family that pulls punches. Grandma, I'll call her Miss Choi from now on, sees a kid who looks like he's debating buying a corn dog. But when she asks, he says he isn't hungry and he runs off. NJ sees their father on his way to work and grabs Dalmi so they can stop him from quitting his job. But instead, they see a much more shocking scene. Their father being beaten by his boss when he gets in the way of him smacking at his co-workers. Horrified, the girls watch and can only cry at the violent display. Again, NJ looks away, but Dalmi keeps watching. Later that day, the sisters tell their mother what they saw and ask her to understand why their father needs to quit. Stone cold, their mother asks them how much their father was offered by his abusive boss in a settlement. As she folds their clothes, she tells them that money is all that matters and asks their father to provide for them no matter what. Their father hears this and drops the chicken he bought for that dinner. He apologizes and then asks for a divorce on the spot. Barely affected, their mother agrees and callously turns to the girls to ask them what parent they want to live with. The sisters look at each other and the scene flashes forward to Dalmi and Inje as grown-ups on opposite sides of the conference hall. Now, I know that this show is going to attempt a redemption arc for this mother, and I'm going to tell you now that aside from them showing her saving basket loads of baby animals from a burning building, ain't a damn thing going to redeem this woman for me, okay? There is no background they could give her that excuses the cruelty and lack of respect she displays towards her husband. I get that maybe she doesn't know about the workplace abuse, but the show makes it obvious that the prospect of him quitting is an argument they've had more than once. Anyone who cares about their partner would ask why they, who have so much to lose, would take the risk. Not even a past of bad business choices, of, of which the show hasn't even told us, by the way, I'm just trying to tack this argument from all sides, can excuse her complete disrespect for her partner's well-being. Her gaslighting of the situation to make herself the one owed some sort of devotion is disgusting. Even more importantly, you do not share that twisted opinion 
with your children who have just watched their father be abused and are traumatized. Any kind of decent parent does not do that. It's poisoning that child's view of not only their abused parent, but of society as a whole. We all know that the world will show us how cruel it is on its own. There's no need for the first lesson to be from a parent. I was so proud of their father for asking for a divorce as soon as he saw that. This story can do nothing that will redeem this woman for me, but maybe, maybe it will. Who knows? I doubt it. Dalmi asks her sister if she's regretted the choice she made, and NJ replies that she has, but only because she's wondered if the person who made the opposite choice is regretful. She says that it's common that every choice be regretful, but Dalmi says there are exceptions. Dalmi thanks her sister for answering honestly, emphasizing the change in her name. From the stage, Ji Pyong watches the exchange, and we're flashed back to the corn dog shop, where we see that Ji Pyong was the teenager who refused food from Mrs. Choi. He has an envelope full of money and a large cardboard check in his backpack. Apparently, he was given 2 million won, or about 1,700 U.S. dollars, by the orphanage he aged out of and is now looking for somewhere inexpensive to live. Even a one-room apartment, though, is out of his budget. His realtor asked him about the cardboard award from a virtual investment competition in his backpack for 2 million won, but Ji Pyong corrects him, saying it's cyber money. He can't invest it because he's under 19, nor can he even open a bank account because he's an orphan. His prospects are bleak. In a show of well-meaning but completely tone-deaf support, the realtor encourages him to hang in there because even the young have to pay for their hardships, quote-unquote. Understandably angry, Ji Pyong snaps that he'll give the realtor his hardships at a discount. Ji Pyong is hungry but unsure of where he should even eat, and as he walks around, the teen sees a young boy on TV who's won a mathematics Olympiad, supported by his proud parents. It's getting dark, and as Ji Pyong faces a night of homelessness in the rain, he's dissuaded from an obvious scam by Mrs. Chui, who quickly assesses that he's the same hungry kid from earlier that day. She sees the rips in his sneakers and offers him her shop to stay in overnight, and despite his prideful objections that he does have somewhere to stay— a lie. She tells him that she'll leave the keys in the birdhouse in front of her shop. Thankfully, he takes her up on her offer, spending the night and eating the food she left out for him. Hmm, it's almost like she knew she'd run into him again. The next morning, Mrs. Choi remembers that she left a canister of money in the back room. She debates going to the shop to see if the teenager took it. She thinks she can make more money after all, yet she does check and is ashamed when she realizes that Ji Pyong did not betray her. He tells her that she should put that money in a bank, and she asks him to repay her for her kindness, help her fill out the forms to open a bank account. Once that's done, she claims that taking care of the bank book is too complicated, that he should do it for her while she cooks him breakfast and dinner. Ji Pyong asks him why she isn't afraid of him. He has the keys to her shop, and she's entrusting her bank book to him as well. She simply says he's a good boy, and if he does a bad thing, then she'll just blame herself for trusting him. Now staying in Mrs. Choi's back room, Ji Pyong wins another investment competition, which gifts him a laptop. He uses it to open an account in Mrs. Choi's name and invest the money in the bank book. Meanwhile, poor Dami tells her grandmother about their broken family. Mrs. Choi barely holds back tears of her own. She's just lost a grandchild, after all, and her son is heartbroken. Worried about Dami's state of mind, she asks Ji Pyong to write her granddaughter a letter, as if he's a new friend her age, since Inje was her only friend. After some persuading, Ji Pyong does and says his name is Nam Dosan, after the kid he saw winning the math Olympiad. Dosan looks smart, kind, and well-off. 
Even though Ji Pyong is skeptical about the letter, it does work to lift Dalmi's spirits. She thinks it's a love letter due to her grandmother often being the emissary of love letters to her sister from clueless teenage boys. Through this insightful letter, Ji Pyong sympathizes with Dalmi's loss and encourages her to live in the moment, seeking happiness. Dalmi decides to write him back. Her father knows that it was his mother, but keeps it a secret, delivering Dalmi's reply with a promise to his mother that he'll bring back his estranged wife and child. He just needs one year. Over the course of a very tumultuous year, we see Dalmi's father work hard to get his business off the ground, passing out flyers and spending long nights working on his plans. Dalmi and Inje start meeting each other happily, sharing food as they try to bond again. But as time passes from spring to fall, the sisters eat separate meals when they meet. Inje seems more stoic and reserved, and their father struggles to get funding. By winter, Inje is ignoring Dalmi to stare at her phone during their meetups. The one thing that brightens Dalmi's day are the letters from Jipyong, who continues to write as Dulsan. We see that Jipyong also seems comforted by the letters, and before long, a year has gone by. It's spring again. The sisters are together in the park, talking about the letter exchanges with Dosan. Inje thinks it's strange that they haven't met up, but Dalmi reminds her that their parents were originally pen pals, to which Inje mutters that times have changed. Dalmi gives her a music box that's identical to her own, and it, that Inje used to treasure, and her older sister says she should have thrown it away right before she drops the bomb that their mother has remarried, and worse, the both of them are leaving for the U.S. that day. Her new stepdad is rich, of course. Dalmi is shocked. She wonders why her sister didn't try to stop their mother from moving on when she knew that their father was doing everything possible to make his business work and bring them back together. But MJ rips the heart out of the argument. She doesn't think her father should have to work hard. Her new rich stepfather has shown her that money makes life easy. She cruelly jabs at the past when their father would bring them chicken and she would pretend to like it. The child says she was disgusted. NJ says that Dalmi made the wrong choice in staying by their father's side, and she'll see that she was right in time. Smiling in the face of Dalmi's tears, she adds that her name is different now and that they're no longer sisters. Furious and hurt, Dalmi breaks NJ's music box and grabs her sister's hair. As they fight, we flash forward to the sisters having a tense conversation over coffee. Now, the way this little girl NJ told Dalmi that she was leaving, her sister, and that they weren't sisters anymore, shows how horrible her mother's indoctrination, and probably her stepfather's indoctrination as well, has been. It's only been a year, and this girl's disowning her own blood to her face. I feel horrible for both sisters, but especially Dalmi, who has learned in so many baseless words now that both her mother and sister don't want her. Um, nobody should be treated like that, and poor Dalmi has had to learn some really hard lessons in a very short period of time. NJ in the present says she worried about Dalmi, and her little sister asks why when she's doing great. NJ asks about their grandmother, and when she's assured that Mrs. Choi is fine, she goes in for the first jab. Is Dalmi still living off of her? Dalmi replies that not everyone can be NJ, who started the company with her stepfather's money. She tells her sister that she plans to start a company of her own, with a partner, Dosan, in fact, who she's kept in touch with. 
We can see that she's not being truthful, and NJ seems to know that as well, looking in disdain at her sister Scuff's shoes. NJ is going back to the U.S. by the end of the month, but offers Dalmi an invitation to her networking party before she leaves. She can meet her little sister's investor, quote-unquote, and long-term friend as well, as Dalmi's sister. Dalmi rejects the offer to bring Dosan, but just before they part, NJ has to get in the last word. She thanks Dalmi for showing her that she made the right choice in leaving their father. Her little sister has to cover up the scratches on her shoes, she says, and make company with an imaginary boyfriend. She looks down her nose at Dalmi for living with her grandmother and being paid less than minimum wage and sees that her option was the right choice. Hopping in her chauffeured car, she goes to drive away when Dalmi jumps in front of the vehicle and asks her about the details for the networking party. She says she plans on bringing Dosan. Look, I'm calling NJ Sister Petty from now on because how elitist and simple thinking do you have to be to come after someone for having scuffs on their shoes? Literally, you are hating on your sister for walking. I keep expecting her bouginess to start shouting, have the shades of Pemberley become thus polluted? Any Jane Austen fan will get that one. But just, uh, look, I get it. She's just as much of a victim of cruel fate and a traumatic childhood as Dalmi, especially since she was left with her cruel mother, who I'm certain only showed her the most cutthroat ways to survive. But she's an adult now. Who knows better? She's unsympathetic. And I'll try not to hate her for the entire drama, but uh, it's going to be hard, especially if they try to redeem her through a relationship with Ji Pyong. Just, just don't do it, show. She doesn't deserve it. She needs to change on a basic level. That night, Daomi has regrets, to say the least. She can't find Dosan anywhere online, but she also has a new friend she doesn't even know about in Ji Pyong, who follows her to Mrs. Choi's corndog stand. He's shocked to find her again, and we flash back to Ji Pyong as a teenager, finally finding somewhere to live. He ensures his realtor that he can get the deposit for an apartment. Meanwhile, Mrs. Choi is at the bank, closing her account in order to help her son pay the interest on his business loan. She asks for the money in cash, and then is shocked when she's informed that the balance is 80 million won, roughly $72,000. She thinks that it's interest inflating her account, but she's asked instead if she's been trading stocks and understands suddenly where the money had to come from. Later that day, when Ji Pyong goes to the bank to withdraw the money for his apartment, he sees that the account is closed and watches Mrs. Choi give a large amount of cash to her son before he runs off to a meeting. Ji Pyong clearly feels betrayed. In the only scene we get from the father's perspective, Dalmi's father, Mrs. So, is about to miss the bus on the way to an investment meeting when he rushes across a busy street and is hit by a car. Yikes. Bleeding from his temple, he brushes himself off and runs unsteadily to his bus, making it to the meeting even though he's been injured. During his presentation, his hand tremors, which he plays off his nerves, but the sense of foreboding builds as his nose begins to bleed as well. As a testament to his solid business plan, the investment company run by a younger Mrs. Yoon agrees to work with him. He finally gets the big break he's been working so hard to achieve. 
His company, Feidal.com, is a network of delivery restaurants from all over the country that can be accessed through cell phones. Sound like a familiar concept? During the meeting, Mr. So impresses Ms. Yoon with his persistence to acquire customers rather than immediately seeking profit. In contrast to his ex-wife, who only offered him the choice to fail, Mrs. Yoon reminds him that being desperate enough to, quote, drink seawater, unquote, can fail a business that's not willing to wait for it to rain. In other words, let the clients prove how good a product is, not the profit. Back at Mrs. Choi's place, Ji Pyong is furious. He packs his things and says he's leaving for Seoul. He shouts at her how she could take all of the money that he worked so hard to invest, while Mrs. Choi stands in awe of his ability to make 10 times more money than she deposited in less than a year. She asks him if that's why he followed her to the bank that day, to borrow her name and use it to open an account. And wanting to hurt her, Ji Pyong shouts that, of course, that's what he intended from the start. Mrs. Choi, he says, was an old pushover who gave him kindness that he couldn't afford. He demands that she go to her son and give him back his money. But Mrs. Choi shocks him into silence by going inside and bringing out a much larger bag filled with all of the money he made. She shoves it into his arms and asks why she would ever take it. When he asks what the money was that she gave her son, she tells him simply that it was her money. After all, they opened the account with the money that was originally in her tin can. Shamed, all Ji Pyeong can say is goodbye, and he runs away. Mr. So calls Dalmi to tell her the good news. Dalmi has a scrape on her face from her fight with her sister and is holding the broken music box and has awfully bad news for her father. Before she can tell him, he optimistically tells her about a world where cell phones make the world easier and that she should believe that he can make it happen. Dalmi doesn't have the heart to ruin his dream and reminds him instead to bring home chickens so they can celebrate. Mr. Soul tearfully tells her that she can ask for anything she wants, anytime she wants for the rest of her life. And they both say they love each other. I'm not crying. It's just been raining. On my face. Mr. So runs into Miss Yoon and they ride the elevator together. His nose begins to bleed again and Miss Yoon offers him her handkerchief, commiserating with him about how hard it is to run a business. She may have misunderstood the bleeding. Mr. So mentions how he wishes he could fall on sand instead of concrete so he wouldn't be hurt. When Miss Yoon is confused, he tells her about his daughter Dalmi, who once fell off the swing onto concrete, and how his wife told him not to let her swing anymore, even though his daughter wanted to take the risk again. Instead, he covered the hard ground with sand so that Dalmi could swing without being afraid of falling. He wishes that he didn't have to be so afraid of failing in order to run a business. Ji Pyeong is looking lost and sad at the bus stop. Mrs. Choi finds him and tosses a pair of brand new sneakers into his lap. Instead of just thanking her, because he has to suspect everything anyone ever does, he asks her if she shouldn't be jealous that he's going to take the shoes she gave him and run away with his money and become richer than her. Sarcastically, Mrs. Choi says yes, puts the shoes on for him, and makes him promise that he wouldn't call her if he's successful. She doesn't want to feel jealous of his happiness, she says, but if he's going through a rough patch and he needs somewhere to stay, he shouldn't stand in the rain. He knows where the keys to her shop are. At this, he finally breaks down. Before getting on the bus to Seoul, Ji Pyeong asks to know what she wants. As he cries, he wants to know how he can pay her back. He hugs her and tells her to take care, and she hugs him back. Ji Pyeong really is her good boy. On the bus home, Mr. Seoul has a seizure that the people around him mistake for being drunk. 
He can barely speak, and his hand continues to tremor. Dalmia waits for him at home, while NJ and her mother are flying away to the U.S. We hear grown Dalmia writing a letter to Dosan. She talks about how everything seemed to be leaving her that spring. On the bus to Seoul, Ji Pyeong is sobbing, while Mrs. Tue seems to feel like something is wrong as she sweeps the falling cherry blossoms outside of her shop. Her son is still on the bus, and as people pass by his unconscious body, the chicken he was bringing Dalmi falls from his hand. We see that before his eyes closed for the last time, he was looking at a picture of his family on his phone, and a tear falls down his cheek. In the present, Dalmi tells us that she lost her father without being able to say goodbye, and thanks Dosan for being there for her. We see that as an adult, she still puts letters in the bird feeder for Dosan, even though her grandmother's shop isn't there anymore. A cherry blossom that falls on her shoulder floats into the air, and we follow its path to Ji Pyong, who meets Mrs. Chue for the first time in 15 years. Of course, she asks if there's anything he needs, and he smiles as he hugs her. The cherry blossom floats back up, and we trace it to a rooftop office with a sign that says Samsung Tuck, where two of the young men from the startup lecture are sleeping, while another man types away at his computer. He's working hard on a program that he finishes as the blossom lands in his hair. He wakes the other guys up when he exclaims that the program works, and once they see that he's right, they call him a genius and start to chant his name. Nam Do San. Nam Do San. And that's the first episode of Startup. I was really impressed with this show from the start. Uh, the title intro reminds me a bit of Search WWW with its graphics, and the music is very catchy and highly produced, of course. The style of this show is super slick, and there are some beautifully shot scenes with the cherry blossoms, and especially the drone light show at the very beginning. Um, that's something that they return to from the beginning, right? The idea of the light show following through the city and introducing some of our main characters in a way. And then the theme continues with the cherry blossom, which we first see, of course, when Dalmi's father dies. And then we see the cherry blossom in the present that goes from Dalmi to Ji Pyong to Dosan. So I, I really love the cinematography here. I think it was beautifully done and a great way to tell a story without hitting someone over the head, although they are hitting people over the head with fate. This is definitely a faded meeting, but I love it. I really love the characters as well. Even if they're distasteful, everyone we meet has a definite personality and flavor. I can see the strengths and weaknesses in the two leads that we've been introduced to so far, and I'm intrigued by how they showed us the elusive Dosan. I'm also getting a found family vibe here that is one of my favorite tropes. Dalmi's Almoni is amazing, but I hope in later episodes we see that Dalmi has more friends of her own age. If not, I hope that maybe Ji Pyeong can be a friend to her, even if he is a few years older. Um, it's clear that Ji Pyeong probably also needs a few friends of his own. Uh, we're sitting here talking to our AI. As for the compatibility of our two leads, I'm on the fence. I like Ji Pyeong, but this first episode didn't really show as much of him as an adult other than he's very rich, kind of unsociable, and a demanding boss. He's clearly intrigued by Daomi, but I don't know if that interest is simply because of her connection to Mrs. Choi or if it could possibly develop into something romantic. As for Dalmi, she's a great character for this drama. She's already been through so much that it's easy to root for her success. I completely understand her drive to prove to her family, especially the family that left her behind, that she didn't need them. I hope that by the end of this drama, though, she realizes that she doesn't need their validation to be happy or successful. I really like the overall message of this episode as well. The tragic story of Mr. So makes him a martyr for the cause of following your dreams and never giving up. I also think the show applies 
to this time in particular, where so many people might feel like they've been betrayed by their employers or maybe felt like they had to compromise their own welfare in order to stay employed during a pandemic. The idea of feeling like just another ground down cog in the machine is real. And while not all of us want to go and own our own business, the drive to work doing what you love or simply working to live, not living to work, can take a risk that feels a lot like starting up a company of yourself, of one. After all, at the end of the day, each of us are only really accountable to ourselves. We choose to be responsible for our friends and family, investing time and energy into them because we love them. Uh, This first episode of Startup is a good reminder that money isn't the only currency in our society. Each of us have so much more to give. Episode 2. Episode 2 starts off where we left Ji Pyong and Mrs. Choi. She still wants to know why he's there, if he's going through a rough patch, and she seems annoyed when he tells her that he's healthy and happy. He just found her, and he feels like he still owes her. He insults her with the idea of paying for a small shop for her business and apologizes, laughing to see that her prideful nature hasn't changed at all. She tears up the card he gives her, but she promises not to go anywhere. Dalmi is scouring her letters for Dosan to find clues as to where he could be. Her grandmother tries to discourage her and asks what if he disappoints her or isn't interested. Dalmi says that she only needs him for one day, and after being pen pals for so long, she doesn't think he'll mind. She's confident that he'll be someone who will impress someone like her sister. When pressed by Mrs. Chui why that matters, she explains that she doesn't want NJ to think that she wasn't happy to stay with her father. Dalmi doesn't regret the choice she made. NJ is going back to the U.S., and for one day, she wants to put on a show to prove her wrong. The next day, Ji Pyong is at work when he's notified that there's an unscheduled appointment waiting for him. It's Mrs. Chui, asking for him to find Nam Dosan, the boy they made up. But, she reminds him, they base those letters off of a real boy from the newspapers. She wants him to make someone up to attend the event with Dalmi. He asks her why her granddaughter doesn't simply ask one of her ex-boyfriends to go with her. And Miss Chui has to explain that even though Dosan didn't exist, he somehow got in the way of any relationships Dalmi had. We get a hilarious montage of Dalmi turning down guys and ending dates because she compared them to Dosan, whether it be their demeanor, their spelling, how they judged a love scene in a movie. None of them could compare to the perfect childhood image of Dosan she'd built up in her mind. Ji Pyong smirks at the idea of creating the ultimate boyfriend, but reminds Mrs. Choi that she wrote those letters with him. She shouldn't have continued the farce if she didn't plan on eventually telling Dalmi the truth. He grudgingly agrees to look for Dosan. A side-by-side montage of the Soul Girls waking up and starting their day shows two very different realities, but a similar sense of ambition. NJ takes on the mission of convincing their mother to come back home after learning that her stepfather has cheated on her, while Dalmi tackles a store full of K-pop fans at work. Dalmi proves to be the successful one. She handles customers at the coffee shop in at least three different languages and charms them with her problem-solving, making more sales for her company in a single day than any of the full-time employees. In contrast, NJ and her mother do not get along, and NJ doesn't really try to mend fences. They rope their waiter into a petty back-and-forth where their mother wonders why she left their father for her current husband. NJ actually looks up from her phone at that information. Hmm. Good to know that their mother was actually planning on leaving their father, whether he kept his job or not 15 years ago. At least that's the way I interpret it. Makes me hate her more. Petty sister NJ informs their mother that Dalmi is going to be attending her networking event party, and that perks her right up. 
Maybe NJ hopes that their mother will see Dalmi as the failure that she thinks her sister is. Clearly, she doesn't see that her mother is actually longing for the past and has a lot of regrets, as she should. Ji Pyong sets his manager on finding Nam Do San and yields results right away. Nam Do San's fledging company, Samsung Tech, has been emailing them for months for feedback on his business, but they haven't been interested. Ji Pyong leads immediately to go to Do San's office, armed with the phone numbers of Samsung Tech's other two partners, Yong San and Chul San. Meanwhile, the guys at Samsung Tech are awaiting the results of the visual recognition AI challenge they entered. Dosan is reading an article about Ji Pyong and how the other man is touted as a companion to startups, while Chilsan is hoping to book them flights to the U.S. just in case they do win. Dosan suddenly seems to hear something outside and tells the other guys to hide as they hit the lights and throw their room into darkness. Dosan's parents come to their door, looking for them as the main investors in their company. And for some reason, Dosan's dad is armed with a baseball bat. Just when they think they're in the clear, i.e. they've stayed really quiet and hid almost completely under their desks on the floor, Ji Pyong calls their phones and gives up their ruse. The three of them have to answer to their investors. They try to explain away the use of funds on a single-serve coffee machine and PS4, but when the recognition system that Dosan was working on fails to recognize his father's face as anything other than a toilet, his dad loses it. The Nam family actually finds Ji Pyong before he finds Tamsam Tech's office due to Dosan being chased around the other man's car by his baseball bat wielding father. Ji Pyong doesn't even bother to approach Dosan after that display, and the next day he reports to Mrs. Choi that Nam Dosan is a loser. According to him, there's no promise in his startup, and Dosan is just a lucky one who got lost. There's no hope of Daomi finding Dosan anyway, he says. He only found him because he's, quote, capable and lucky, unquote. So they should just give up. The guys of Samsung are reevaluating. Facing the reality of having no investors, Dosan quickly assesses that they need to start selling things they don't really need to pay the bills. He takes pictures of the coffee machine, the PS4, and his baseball collection, even their air conditioner, with the hopes that this final push will prove fruitful. He posts his items for sale, and a very persistent Daomi finally finds his name. She immediately calls her grandmother to tell her about her success. Mrs. Chui, still sitting with Ji Pyong, who thinks that their granddaughter will make a fool out of herself if she meets Dosan, relays the news, concluding that Daomi must be as, quote, capable and lucky, unquote, as he is. Daomi and Dosan are going to meet up at lunchtime. Mrs. Chui is horrified. Samsung Tech are on their way to meet the various people who have bought their stuff when they pass by Sandbox and stop to gawk in the bus. Companies that work at Sandbox don't have to pay for rent or server costs, and the guys are envious. Daomi are waiting in a square when Dosan and his company approach. Yongsan sees her first and perceptively lures Chulsan away so they can increase their efficiency in selling their stuff. Alone, Dosan finally sees Daomi across the square and they lock eyes. Okay, I love the Red Velvet song that plays here when they finally see each other. It's so perfect for the moment, and since this track is probably going to be their theme song, I really hope I don't get sick of it. Dolsan takes barely two steps towards Dalmi when he's dragged away by an out-of-breath Ji Pyong who says he needs to speak with him. 
Do-san already knows who Ji-pyong is and thinks he wants to talk about his business. And, nervous of being found out by Dalmi, the older man doesn't dismiss the notion. He pulls him away and they head to Do-san's office in his car. While in his car, Ji-pyong tells him to open the glove box, where Do-san sees dozens of letters addressed to him from the woman he was about to meet. He says that he never received them. Of course he didn't. And doesn't know who Dalmi is, but Ji-pyong asks that he start by reading the letters. Dalmi is back at work again, reading an apologetic text from Dosan when she gets word that the head of human resources wants to talk to her about her part-time status. She hopes the company is going to make her full-time, especially after her record-breaking sales, but is told instead that they want her to quit in order to renew her part-time contract. Dalmi is confused. She's been working for them for two years and been told multiple times to hold out for a permanent position. But the HR manager tells her that she doesn't meet the requirements and that she's lucky to have her contract renewed at all since she doesn't have a degree. He hands her a gift certificate from their sister company as an award for her sales record, says that she should trust that if she works for them for two more years and proves herself yet again, he'll get her a permanent position. But Dalmi is not impressed. Up on the roof, she explodes, cursing the company and lamenting all the time she wasted working hard for broken promises. The guys of Samsung Tech are poring over the letters between Daomi and Jipyong, trying to understand the situation. Dosan finally realizes that the companion of startups isn't there to talk about the company, but still needs a favor for them. Chulsan and Yongsan see an opportunity, and Dosan genuinely wants to know what Jipyong thinks of their company. He wants guidance, and he doesn't care about the money that Jipyong is offering to dress up for the networking party and accompany Daomi for the night. Dosan's friends pull him aside to have a meeting, and they agree to press their luck. But he shocks even his friends when Dosan asks for Samsung Tech to be able to join Sandbox. Jipyong loses his temper. He wants to just pay Dosan and be done with the transaction, but Dosan holds his ground. Incensed, Jipyong says, too bad, and goes to leave. And yet before he does, in a move unfortunately reminiscent of NJ with Dalmi in the episode before, he coldly tells them why he has no intention of ever investing in their company. He says that out of the 30 companies he's invested in, only four have ever received additional investors. But of the companies he's rejected, none of them have succeeded. Ji-pyong doesn't believe they have a chance. Poor Do-san looks devastated, but Yong-san reminds him that Ji-pyong's opinion is just an opinion. At home, Ji-pyong is feeling sorry for himself and getting no sympathy from his AI, who plays a song that starts with, screw you. <laughs> it goes a step further, suggesting a suicide hotline when Ji-pyong continues to whine about his bad luck and making the man laugh. He tells his AI that it's growing on him. We see Dosan and Daomi on the train that night. Dosan is knitting and still looks dejected. Daomi, in a different place, is looking at her sister's deceptive social media yet again, and when the escalator at her station is broken, followed by her heel as she starts up the steps, there are tears in her eyes. Dosan goes home and sneaks past his sleeping father to get into his room. He looks at the newspaper cuttings he made when he was optimistic about his business at the beginning. And when Daomi gets home, she finds a bag on her bed from her grandmother that contains a new suit and brand new heels. She goes to her sleeping grandmother and curls up beside her. Finally, Dosan puts a blanket on his dad who's sleeping on the couch. He watches him, looking apologetic and sad. All right, I'll admit it. I cried here because Aumi is just so awesome. 
<laughs> Dalmi had taken a number of L's that day and she really just needed to be reminded that somebody had her back and cared about her. Oh my gosh. The same with Dosan, who seems like such a caring man who just needs the opportunity and a kind word. Also, this song by Jung Sung Wan, uh, Day and Night, I think it's called, yeah, is now like the soundtrack for my sorrow. It's beautiful, but I also think of Mr. So sitting dead on the bus when I hear it. So yeah, I think I'm slightly traumatized. It's the day of the networking party and Daomi is still planning to go. She thanks her grandmother for the suit and worries about how expensive it is, but Mrs. Twe says she has lots of money and she shouldn't worry. Hmm, interesting. She tells Dami to be patient, that she's a cosmos flower that will bloom eventually. At Samsung Tech, Dosan is still reading Dami's letters to him. One tells him about the music box she received from her father, and that she's never opened it, fearing that she wouldn't like the melody or that it would be broken. She tells Dosan that he's like her pretty music box. If he never opens, it doesn't matter because it's enough to know that he's there. Dosan sees that she sent him one last message online, asking if he can make it to the party to meet her sister. He thanks and then asks his friends if they have a suit he can borrow. As Dosan rides his bike to an upscale salon with a garment bag in tow, we hear Daomi tell him that she's certain he has a lovely melody. We see Ji Pyong in a white suit, contemplating Daomi's words as she says that he's comforted her for years and always will. He makes a U-turn. Daomi shows up at the party, looking beautiful, and sees her mother and sister enter together. Inside, she gets a drink that apparently tastes disgusting because she spits it out, and tries to avoid her family while also keeping an eye on them. Ji Pyong shows up and rushes inside. He sees Daomi hiding and goes to approach her when he sees Dosan in a black suit and a fresh new haircut make a beeline for her. Dosan looks good and his presence grabs everyone's attention, including Petty Sister and their mother. If Daomi wasn't in love with the idea of Dosan before, she's obviously heads over heels now. He asks her if she's been waiting long and she says yes and that she's missed him. Ji Pyong looks on in disbelief. In the post-credit cut, we see San Francisco company Coda talking about the winners of their AI competition. We're reminded of Cholsan talking about how small their chances are of winning, but how they should have plane tickets just in case. Coda says that the winners are from Korea and wonders if the programmers from Samsung Tech would be able to make it to the U.S. One of the Coda members seems very interested in meeting with them, but the other members say that once they announce that Samsung has won, there's going to be a lot of people who want to meet with them. Yikes, if only they'd gotten those plane tickets. And that's the end of episode two. Okay, so my thoughts about episode two have me so optimistic about this show. I love the found family that Dosan has with the Samsung Tech brothers. When Yongsan pulled an ultimate wingman move, I cheered. And after Ji Pyong snapped, I was so happy the guys were there with snark and encouraging words. Dosan looked devastated. Also, I'm going to need Dadi Nam to be less harsh on our dear Dosan because I feel like he probably does the bulk of the work in the company. But maybe winning this competition will rebuild some of his parents' faith in him. I do want to see Dosan be more confident, though, because he does seem to be the brains of the whole outfit, and it would be nice to see him defend himself, if not to his father, then to at least Ji Pyong in the future. When Dosan showed up to the party, I squealed the entire time he spent walking up to Dalmi, which actually says a lot, a lot of squealing, I mean, because that was a long shot. 
no shade, but did we need to see our man's ankles for that long? And his elbow and the back of his neck and his ears. And look, he's handsome, but we knew it was Dosan. Anywho, Ji Pyeong's shocked face was everything. I was still kind of mad at him for being a big meanie pants, though. I can't wait to watch more and review more for you guys. And if you're listening to this on Friday when it drops, late on Friday, sorry, y'all, then you don't have to wait that long at all because episodes three and four are coming tomorrow on Saturday. I'm going to be so tired. As always, I want to know what you think about the show. Do you think Dosan is going to lie to Dalmi? And if so, how long do you think she's going to buy it? Where do you think Ji Pyong is going to fit into all of this? What do you think about Petty Sister and Petty Mama? How do you think the show is going to try to redeem them? Hit me up with your comments on Instagram and Twitter at kdramakraken. Head over to kdramakraken.com or join the kdramakraken podcast Facebook group. It says k-drama kraken podcast you can find me there i would love to talk with you so until next time keep it cracking